this is Brave Space Live, and this is our, our brave space. It's the courage to listen, the courage to speak hard truths, the courage to be patient with ourselves, with each other, the courage, the courage to ask dumb questions. Uh, so that's that's what we're doing here. And tonight we are talking about our conversation topic is drum roll friendships between black women and white women. I mean, why not start with what we know right here in front of us? Um, we can talk up a little bit about some of what we've gotten into, how we've become friends, and how we've engaged, and how we can move forward in those relationships and friendships. Yeah, and it's been a you know it's a tough road to build trust when there's so much history and there's so much there's so much working against friendships between Black women and white women, and we wanted to talk about it because you know we've been able to forge this friendship ourselves over the last year or two working together, and I don't, not that we're always perfect at it, but uh, it's something we're both passionate about. Yeah. So let's yeah. before we do all of that, let's just introduce ourselves and who we are. So people are like, okay, these two people are talking. Why are they talking? Okay, who are we? So Mel, can you introduce yourself first and then I'll follow it up um, and I'll talk a little bit about my background, who we are, how we got here. Absolutely. So my name is Mel. I'm a social ethicist. I wrote a book called Brave Talk. Uh, let me grab it. Where'd it go? It's somewhere around here. It's about, it's about courageous conversation. There it is. It's about, uh, that's not the right book. Ooh, that's, that's what happens when you have more than one book. That's not the right yeah. book. That's my book, Brave Talk. It's called uh, Brave Talk, Building Resilient Relationships in the Face of Conflict. I wrote it after a lot of, lot of turmoil with people I loved over differences of politics, about politics and religion. And um, I ended up doing a lot of anti-oppression work in the book because a lot of conflict comes from oppression. So we've got to unravel that stuff and understand how it works and be able to share power before we can start to transform conflict at its root. So that's really my passion is has really become anti-oppression work. Uh, how about you, Taishel? So I'm Taishel. Uh, my background, I mean, I have a winding background and I realized this, I was on a, a radio show the other day and I realized this as I was having this conversation and that I, my background is in clinical social work. So I went to school to be a therapist. And what I realized when I got to school and when I was in the, my graduate program was that uh, there was so much work that needed to be done on intersectionality, race, all of those things. And that kind of led me to where I am doing this work, um, both as I, you can say a practitioner, right? A practitioner of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go forward in this journey on Brave Space Live. But um, I really have been doing this work around the world. So I've been able to, with the advent of things like these live platforms, Zoom, um, uh, WebEx, things like that, and been able to have conversations in India and UK and really the, the passion for the work is to be able to create spaces like this where people can be brave, can ask questions and learn in the in in the midst of it. So I'm an educator by by heart, by trade and, and some of the work that I do. So that's a little bit about me. I'm sure you'll get to know a lot more about me, things you probably don't want to know as we go forward, but just a little bit about who we are and why we're here. Yeah, Taishal is in Philly and I'm in Maine and we yes. have never met in person, which is a lot of fun. Welcome to the digital age, right? Exactly. Yeah. How we've known each other for a year and a half, almost, I think about two years and have never met in person. We were just talking about this with our show producers to create a trip and, and come visit each other um, in the midst of this panini press and trying to figure out um, all of those things. So we'll do that. We're going to go visit Mel in Maine. That's yeah, come to Maine. It's great. Hey, we should introduce our producers really quick. Uh, this is uh, Joe and Lish, everybody. 
They are our wonderful producers who are helping us put on this show and they have been just phenomenal helping us get everything ready to go, keeping us in line. Making sure so we you'll don't. see them in the background. You'll see them uh, helping out and doing things, doing all the yeah. things that they do. Thank you, Joe and Lish. Cheers. All right, so we're getting into this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, why are friendships between white women and black women so freaking hard? That is my first question. Do you have an easy answer for this? I'm just like it's say, so say easy. This, say this beautiful answer, and then we'll just end the show because like that's all we need to say. Because friendships are hard. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean they are. <laughs> I mean they are. They are. Yeah. But there's so there's so much history behind it. So we have to really talk about where it where it began, where it you know kind of crescendoed, and how we can build them going forward, right? So we want to be able to do that with everyone as well. So I, I, you can start with the, so let's start with some historical context. A yeah. Bit. So before we go there, do you mind if I share a story? So- Absolutely, <laughs> share a story with us. We had, we like stories. We had decided to do this, do this topic months ago. We're like, this would be a, a great first topic. And I happened to see this, uh, this thing pop up on my Facebook feed. I'm part of this like group that does wholesome stuff. They're like the wholesome, wholesome stories, feel good stories. And every once in a while, there's a story that pops up that I'm like, Ooh, that is low key racist because it's like a kind of a colorblindy sort of a story. But anyway, this is a story of this white woman was posting and she was like, Oh, I went to dinner at a Chinese restaurant and I happened to see another woman there, um, who was also eating alone. And I invited her to eat with me and we ended up having so much in common and she was recently widowed and didn't have a lot of people in her life. And now we're having dinner together every Thursday. So far, so good, except that she had posted a picture of a black woman on the story. Okay. And something about this really felt weird for a couple of reasons. Like, first of all, um, I feel like it's very virtue signaling. Like, look at me, I'm not racist because I just made a black friend. Uh, Second of all, she didn't mention that she had asked this woman's permission to post her picture on on Facebook. Um, Third of all, I don't know, like, there's this whole thing of like, do do we post stories like this to change the norm but also, why is it so weird that a black woman and a white woman would become friends? Like, why is that weird? Why does that get shared millions of times? Why is mm-hmm. that so unusual? Um, what are your thoughts, Tyshell? <laughs> I don't know. So, it, what what you're thinking, what you're saying, makes me think of uh, someone just asked me recently because you know when you do this work, people will like stop you and ask you these questions, right? So, somebody asked me recently, "Well, how do I make black friends?" And I was like, "I, I um." I don't, she's like, I don't want to be creepy. And I was like, so don't be one. <laughs> and, and they were like, and I was like, what do you like to do? There are probably black people there. So you can just go talk to them, but it ha- doesn't have to be this big thing. You always say, like, people always say, really have conversations, include people, get to know new people, go outside your circle. But like, how do I meet black people? And I was like, how do you meet people? that are not like you, I said, you really have to look at your own circles, right? And and be able to engage. So to me, that's so interesting. Like, is it is it this like huge story of like, we became friends and like, and I need to ask who you are, how you are and say, look at us, we're getting along and nobody else is doing it. I feel like people really 
people and I would say in this case this white woman is like overthinking it look at us we're friends so that that's what it kind of makes me feel like somebody asked me today like how do I meet black people and I was like I don't I'm not sure we're all in the same place that you can just go and like we're everywhere so I don't know I don't know I don't know man I don't know oh, okay my fan is making a weird noise I'll be back in two seconds uh, turn off. How do I turn off my camera? Haha! <laughs> I couldn't hear your your fan, so. But I think about that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely got asked by somebody, "How do I meet black people?" And I was like, "I'm not sure," because <laughs> I am a black. I mean, I was like, "Yeah, I just hang out by the bus stop. That's where I meet all my new. I don't know." Yeah, go to things that interracial communities gather at and talk to people but like but i okay so there's something about that that i that question that i relate to because like when i okay so being very like vulnerable with you all here right when i go to an event and i see like a group of like like black women or bipoc folks standing around i sometimes i want to go up and introduce myself and get to know people but i also feel like i'm going <laughs> Friends, ah! so it's like, awkward right it's i mean it's awkward to talk to people who are like strangers who are like you anyway but also to introduce yourself to, to people who you don't know how you'll be received and you don't know what to say it's awkward but it's, i mean i mean that's just the, the awkwardness of being awkward and meeting people as an adult like yeah. i mean i met my first friend in school because she came up to me while i was crying after my mom left and and she's like do you want to play kitchen set with me and i was like Hell yeah, I want to play kitchen set. So like, yes, I understand that. And meeting uh, meeting friends as an adult, you have all these preconceived notions, but that's really just us thinking way more than that other person is thinking about it. So I think yeah. like you can't go just go meet people and be like, I'm going to go meet black people today. Like that's yeah. not like that's, that's I'm going to go find me an Asian friend. Like that that's so <laughs> weird. If you like can you imagine like um excuse me, I my mission today is to be friends with a white woman. So you're it. Like not, that's not uh, yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. not at all the historical context we were talking about you all, but I think it's just so funny because literally, you know, that story and then somebody today asking me, how do I meet pe people of color? And I was like, I don't yeah. go to, I was like, what do you like to do? I'm sure there are people of color there. And I said, and if there aren't, what does that say about the circles you're you're in, right? So Oof, yeah, so so maybe some self reflection is needed there. So exactly. so going back to the story, so this woman like who the woman who posted uh, this like I made this black friend and she was lonely and there was a there, I think I think what bothered me about it is there was, there was an air of like I rescued her from her loneliness, like it felt a little bit like that to me the yeah. way it was written. So that's a white savior archetype, right? Like playing into that notion that like white people are saving BIPOC folks like from X, Y, Z. Um, so let me let me go back into two things you said because please. as we are we are um, making this f accessible for people. So BIPOC that term BIPOC B I P O C stands for Black Indigenous and Other People of Color, and that's an what we call an amalgamation and all catch all term for all people who are non-white, right? So non-white people, and the reason that that term exists and really helps define is because not all black people are like all people of color, not all indigenous people. So when we're talking about a group of non-white people, BIPOC or 
BIPOC. Now, if you're talking specifically about black people, say black people. If you're talking about indigenous folks, say indigenous folks. If you're talking about um, Asian people, say Asian people. And I say, I use folks and people interchangeably, not meaning anything uh, different about either one. I try to get away from saying you guys, because that happens a lot. Um, it's Me a very too. gendered term. But um, so really, you know, if you're talking about black folks, say black folk. If you're talking about, you know, whomever, say that group of people. But if you're talking about anybody who's not white, you can use the term BIPOC. So I wanted to do that and, and at least um, share that a little bit as well. And then you also talked a little bit about white savior. And with, with the term white savior, uh, very often what we can do is understand that from a concept of, and there, there are some great videos and we'll, we'll throw some in into the comment chat for you um, about what a white savior is. It's like white people coming to save people of color of any race. Like, you know, if you watch literally uh, um, so many movies. So um, the Green Book, um, I'm thinking the, the, help. Movie, the help, the movie the help. Lion. Yeah. So many where white people just come in and save the day. Even um, what was the movie with uh, Kath? Oh, God, it was a straight. No, Hidden Figures. Kevin mm. Costner gets to be the white savior. He like this, this character cannot go to the, but Catherine Johnson's character cannot go to the bathroom and he goes, we're not going to have that. And he knocks it down and changes it for that one person, but he wasn't thinking about it before. So that is like, wasn't the, he the not even savior. real? He, wasn't he is even not real in, if it, yes, person. that character is not a real person. They in literally fabricated a white savior. I haven't seen the film, but like, that's very interesting that like we, we so depend on that archetype as in our culture that we have to like put it in even when it's not in there. So, yeah. Oh. So yeah, white saviorism. Okay, so thought experiment for a moment. In that story of this woman, uh, uh, before, so if you, if you didn't catch the story, if you just joined, um, white woman posts on Facebook, I met uh, basically a lonely black woman. We were both eating dinner alone. I invited her to sit with me and now we're both eating dinner together once a week, but like posted a picture of the black woman on Facebook and it was like this feel good story, but also like, why? Why is it that weird that white and black women can just get to know each other and become friends? Um, so let's imagine for a minute that the roles were reversed. Okay, so imagine that it's a black woman. Oh, I found this lonely white woman and I rescued her from her loneliness. <laughs> and now we're having dinner once a week together. I don't imagine I'd ever see that story being posted on Facebook and, and going viral. But anyway, let's say it did. Um, in that case, would that black woman who is the savior figure, would she be seen as a mammy in that case? Is that an offensive thing to ask? No, I mean, I think when we're thinking about what the archetype of mammy is, I think she is she was taking care so the, okay so we kind of have to give some context as well and as we yeah. said we have um uh uh race anti-racism for beginners and that class still exists so you can also always look those up and watch those and we have a more in-depth than you'll probably get here because we have a an, a an entire session about stereotypes and and i went more into depth about these archetypes so the mammy archetype takes care of so i think if she was like um, if, if the story went, my black housekeeper became my best friend, I think we'd more, that would more sit in the mammy stereotype. Like I took care of her 
and now we're best friends which really happens when we look at like who nannies are in America so that often happens there um so I think I think not exactly but somewhat right so if she was there to take care of her or if like my mother used to be the caretaker for this woman's mother and we be we used to play together when we were children and now we're best friends that would kind of like follow the mammy stereotype as well so I think about it that way yeah okay uh that is so fascinating. So, so yeah, so let's get into the historical context of what, I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, kept help and things like that, but um, we can even, I think it would, it would be interesting for us to talk, start this conversation talking about um, the, the huge divide that came, that was developed between black women and white women during the suffrage movement. Uh, so white suffragettes, there, there's a, kind of horrible legacy of white suffragettes saying we want votes for women but not all women not mm-hmm. not women of color um and not black men like there there, there was this kind of this suffragettes pitted themselves or at least they were believed to pit how much this is they believed a myth of scarcity right that we can only have votes for women or we can have votes for black men but not both and so there was this pitting against during the suffrage movement um and you might remember the speech of sojourn or truth saying ain't i a woman right that's her famous speech <laughs> a lot of people don't remember that she said that to a room full of white women she did she did at a uh, women's suffrage rights in akron ohio rights convention it's so funny because i read that in i read um if you've ever gotten a chance to read ibram kendi's stamp from the beginning he go it's like an anthological like full walk through history so if you need a if you need a full history in one book stamped from the beginning because he goes through that speech and how she got there and all of those things and it's and it's this it's the sojourner truth being truth being able to say like okay but but aren't i a woman don't you ha- aren't i a part of this story as well and people were like well i'm not sure and if we take on your cause it's going to slow our cause down and yeah. we can see that you know we'll talk about that but we can see that through history right we can see it you know from then to now yeah you can see up through the women's live movement in the 60s of you know black feminists saying white feminists are leaving black women and women of color out of these social movements um it, even though there's some notable friendships like Gloria Sinem and Dorothea, you said Dorothy Pittman Hughes, right? We're mm-hmm, really good mm-hmm, friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a there was a lot of rifts, like for example between Mary Daly and Audre Lorde. So, um, and you you can see that now all the way now through today, where the Women's March was has been accused by a lot of women of color. I understand, Daniel, you might know more about this than I do, uh, of not being intersectional enough. So let's quickly define intersectionality because I think that would be helpful. Um, so so in, intersectionality actually has a couple um, inroads, but I'm going to use the inroad of um, Kimberly Crenshaw. Kimberly Crenshaw, um, it, when we talk about intersectionality, like when we talk about critical race theory, it comes from a theory of law, right? So intersectionality, and they coined that term in the in the midst of creating uh, critical race theory because for, I think they were work, these uh, folks were working at... Um, I'm not going to name the car company because I don't want to get wrong for all the people who love cars and I, I don't know as much, but they were working in a factory and they this factory were, was hiring white women in secretarial roles and black men 
in um in, in machinist roles roles but they weren't hiring black women so they wanted to take this case all the way up to court and say like but we're black women are not getting hired and, and and the case kind of got turned down to some degree because well we're hiring black people because we're hiring black men and we're hiring women because we're hiring white women but what does that look like for the lived experience of a black woman and honestly that's how i found so much of how i ground myself in the work that i do through understanding that lens coming together. I took a class in undergrad called The Black Woman, and I was like, wait, okay, I get to marry the ideas, the, the two identities that are most salient, that are most front in my mind, and in, in my experience and marry them together because they are then different and intersectional really, because you can have intersection in, intersecting identities like I am, tall and I am very thin, right? Those are inner, but which one of those are marginalized? And that's really what intersectionality looks at, how you are marginalized in more than one intersecting way. So I am gay and I am black, right? That might be two intersecting identities that have me marginalized in two different areas. And for me as a woman, black woman, black person and woman has me marginalized in two different areas. So it doesn't only, it has been expanded to include, include other marginalized groups but it was created specifically for the lived experience of black women i feel like a i feel like a thesaurus right now or something nice job that was that was not an easy one to define uh so you can still see the ripple effects of this of intersectional oppression in positions of leadership gaps we call them power gaps there's an awesome organization called the women's power gap women's women's power gap.com and they study uh market institutions so um like for example the top 25 corporations in certain states or they'll study like the top universities and they'll look at the number of people in leadership or the highest paid earners men to women but then they'll also look at uh people of color like black women to, or people people who identify as men of color or people identify as women of color so as much as there's a gap between men and women who are in general there's a huge gap between white women and women of color. When, you, when you're talking about leadership positions in particular, uh, CEOs, uh, chairs of the board, board members, things like that. So you have an astronomical power gap, not just for women, but specifically for women of color because of those added race dynamics. It's interesting because you can think about this as like, I think there's of the Fortune 500 companies, there's like three women and I think only one, I think there's seven women. I, I, you could, somebody can correct me, but I think there's about seven women out of all of the companies and then like only two are black. And the one that we know about most is because it's, is Melody Hobson because she's George Lucas's wife, but she came to, to, to that place on her own, but just what that um, looks like. So I think when we're talking about, um, and I want to go back just a little bit to friendship, when we're talking about that, what does that look like and how can we be able to forge through for a friendship i think we'll talk a little bit about what it is and what it is and what you should do what you shouldn't do but really honestly i think some of the crux of that is like really being open and being honest but you have to be like irreverent to think about the positionality that you have to be able to be in this friendship and and i think we'll go through some of these things but i think we also want to talk about i'll talk a little bit about like how Mel and I do it, how we came to know each other and we did it through, you know, hosting and how calling in instead of calling out and we'll, you know, I want to be able to define that for folks as well as they're thinking about their friendships and whether they are real and authentic and open. Yeah. Does that make sense? 
Totally, it makes sense. And so I think like to cap off the historical conver context conversation so we can transition into what you're talking about, Taishal, I think for me as a white person, it's, it's, it's not possible, I believe, for white folks to be in deep, real, sincere, vulnerable, accountable friendships with people of color if white folks will not acknowledge that there is so much baggage and so much history there. Like we can't operate in a vacuum because white people will do and say very hurtful things without realizing it if we're not aware of that history. So that educational piece is huge, in my opinion. Oh, that makes me, and that kind of leads me into something that I think is really integral when we're talking about friendships, um, especially between black women and white women, is like, who do, like, for relationships, and this is kind of brings back to the story that you were talking about, too. These stories have, these relationships have to be mutually beneficial and mutually caretaking if if every time, if if Melody is not willing to engage with the historical context that exists and us be able to have an open friendship, then every time she makes a blunder, she's gonna cry and I have to support her in that. And that's just so, and like, I, I heard somebody say like, I'm, I'm okay if people ask me questions, I'm okay. And I'm like, that's great, but that's still a lot of work. And we have to be able for, to- For folks it. of color? Yes, it's a, it's a lot, it will be a lot of yeah. work for, for folks of color, for women, for black women to um, shoulder the teach, it's like it's education, it's teaching, and it's caretaking. Like that would be yeah. a lot. And if that's not reciprocal, and then I can't call you out. Like, have you, you know, everybody has fake friends. Like we know that we have those work friends that people used to just smile at, hey, Mary, you know, whatever. <laughs> but those are not people that you would cry with, and that would be there to support you. And yeah. and that really has to be integral in these friendships because we live such different experiences. Yeah, right? so. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one of our producers is holding up an ID. Joe, what do you... No, you're good. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. She's like, the producer's um, in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, what you're saying is so important. And like, so so I guess the first the first thing that we would offer to you all is balancing the amount of work being done. Like if, if we are going to be friends, like I, it's not fair for me to expect to Taishel to educate me and do all the work in our friendship caring for me. It needs to be balanced, like any friendship. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. same principles apply. Like if it's just one person doing all the work, then that's that's not healthy. That's like codependent and weird. So, so that's uh that would be the first codependent, right? That I use the yeah. term correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did. Yes, I think uh, it is. It's I, really I doubted myself. There you go. Don't doubt yourself. You're okay. good. And I think thank it you, is. You. And I, like I don't we don't always need to be coddling each other to be making sure that this, yeah. that, that we have to make sure it is balanced, right? Like I can't just be like, Mel, it's okay. And and I said this, I think I said, oh, we were, I, I run a book club and we were talking about this yesterday. So I'll give a little aside. And um, I said to someone like, I can't just coddle you for everything that you do. Like I have to be able to say, hey, um, you know, I, oh, so I'll go back to, I used to live in New York. And I have a friend um, and we were on the train and something happened like where she had in like a, like a small disagreement with a black woman. And I was like, hey, like I'm glad that went well because I don't wanna be put in the middle of that because I can't choose that kind of, because there's so much there and so much history there that like I will have to be like, hey, this is my friend, I got her, I'm gonna get her together. Like you have to, we have to be accountable in that way. So I wanna make sure that we're not, that we're balancing what that work looks like and that we're engaging in what this friendship is and being being open and having that so i think that that's so important for being able to hold that each person can have 
um, open space and that we're balancing that work is so yeah. important. So let me ask you at this point, I think this is a good point to talk about this. How do you define friendship? Because we've talked about this in the past that we think a lot of black folks and white folks define friendship very differently. Meaning I have met so many white people who are like, oh, I have a black friend, but they mean like they met a black person one time at a party and they're counting that person as a friend, but like, that's that's an acquaintance. It's not a friend. So oh, so you know, <laughs> I have to go back into so so I, my one of my one of my best friends from child. We've been friends since we were fourteen, and she used to work in the restaurant industry. And we would go to parties, and some of the servers, some of the other waitresses were white women, and they would be like, "Oh my god!" And I'll, I'll call my best friend's name is Bree. Oh my god, Bree, I love you. And I'd be like, "Why is that girl telling you she loves you? She just <laughs> met you two weeks ago." And she's like, "Oh, that's just a thing that white girls do." And I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, yeah, you, they just say it like a state. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't understand that. So it was, and, and I'm going to point you to, because uh, the, 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 I guess the theorist in me or <laughs> the educational person in me says in, in the book, Racism Without Races by Eduardo Benia Silva, he taught, he actually interviewed people to ask the question that you were asking, how do you define friendship? Do you have friends of color? And some of the answers that he got from people were like, yeah, my, I have my best friend is black. And they would mean like their best friend from college, even though they've been out of college five years and haven't talked to that person in four years. And so for me, if we don't have to be in constant contact, but we have to be growing and engaging in each other's lives more regularly, if I've, if I've only ever been to your house one time, then we are not as much friends. If, if I can't engage with you and be open with you and share interests with you, then we can't, then I wouldn't say that we're friends, we're more acquaintances. Now, that may be a little bit different in this, as I called it a panini press, this time I'll call it a pizza pie um, that we're in. I haven't been to Mel's house, but we openly engage on a regular basis. We check in with each other. I asked her how her, when she's growing potatoes in her yard with her neighbor, I'm looking and I'm asking and I'm engaging and we're talking and things like that, that has to be a part of it. And as, as we move forward, you know, getting, getting vaccinated for, for folks and, and engaging in the world again, we were going to make a trip to Maine. Right. So, but we have to be regularly engaged in people's lives and not just somebody you met once, somebody's house you went over one time during a special event and no other time after that. So I would say, how do you define it? Well, so I think this is a really interesting, so I'm going to give a, a critique for a minute. Um, critiques of it. Academic, it's a $5 word as Hesha likes to say. Uh, we don't need to say critique. We'll say uh, just my observation. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like this is tapping into a larger crisis of whiteness what i mean by whiteness is not necessarily people who have pale skin but a cultural set of uh norms and ideologies norms and practices and expectations and history right it's like it's a culture like whiteness is a culture mm -hmm. um part a big part of whiteness is rugged individualism this idea that we're supposed to be these kind of lone rangers who don't need anybody else we can just kind of exist as islands we don't ever have to be vulnerable we don't have to have needs we're actually supposed to like actively deny our needs and this is why um, there, there is a, there's a huge crisis of this, of, of, of loneliness and isolation among white folks. Mm -hmm. And I think this is tapping into a larger, um, the, the negative impact of whiteness on white people is that it keeps us isolated, keeps us from making deep and real friendships with people who might be a little bit different from us. And that's not healthy. So 
so I think I think it is I think white whiteness encourages white people to not have deep friendships essentially is what i'm saying i'll I'll, I'll give you a story of something and this is not necessarily white white friendships between black and white women but in overall i was working at an institution and i was talking to uh, an i say institution (laughs) when you when you work in higher education we just call them institutions so i was working at a university and a priest was giving a story about um his his friendship with a Muslim man and he said and I sat down with him and I had and we had lunch and we really saw each other and I understood that he was no different from me he was just like me and my and everybody was applauding in the room and I said um can I ask a question because that's me I want to I'm going to interrupt I'm an interrupter and I said is the only way that you could see this Muslim man was through the lens and the eyes of yourself and not for the the, the way that he existed for himself. Needless to say, when there was a, a, a race task force, he said he had enough black people and he didn't let, invite me to, but he did, he did, I did after, because after that he wanted to have a conversation. So then I, I started handing people at the, the, the college that I was working at, the university I was working at, started handing the people the book White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, like read this first. And he said, and he, um, he was teaching a class and he, uh, he made it mandatory reading for his class. I'm not sure if he read it, but he made it mandatory reading for his class. There you go. Uh, but he yeah. never wanted to talk to me about it because I just I didn't understand how you couldn't see that Muslim man for himself. You had to yeah. see him as just like, like, I don't need to see Melody as just like me for us to be for. In fact, we're yeah. not very much similar in our, we are, I think we are similar, similar moralistically, but we're not necessarily similar in our hobbies, in our in the things that we do. And that's Do you okay. like to farm potatoes? I don't, but I like to eat potatoes and that's important for our friendship. <laughs> that if you <laughs> grow potatoes, you're gonna make me French fries. So yeah. or I'll, any I'll form of potato. French fries. I would, it could it mashed potatoes, tater tot doesn't matter. Ooh, all of them. Me all of the potatoes. All of yeah. the potatoes. So I think that that's an important part. That is such an important part. Yeah. So I think it goes to like why do we need to flatten differences? Why is mm-hmm. that important? And I think like a lot of people have so white folks have so internalized a colorblind approach. It's like, oh, we're all just we're all really the same. We just look a little bit different, but we can just hold hands and just and just not see difference and not appreciate difference. And I think that is why a lot of white women, when they're talking to groups of black women in particular, start speaking in AAVE because they want to fit in. They want to flatten that difference. And it's so not cool to do that so if you think it's cool to start speaking in aav and what do we mean by aave please take okay um aave is african-american vernacular english and and if you are on tiktok you should be you could there's some some people um that you should follow if you follow melanie on tiktok um especially me i've posted some um about about aave it is um I wouldn't say it's a create, it's a created language of what we call also ADOS, American descendants of slaves, right? So we take, we take some of our ancestral African language and um, how in our sentence structure, syntax and rules of language from it. So from African Amer- African um, languages and bringing them to America as uh, African American descendants of, Africans descendants of slaves and created this language here with the English language 
and with those rules, right? So in it has, but it has its own center, sentence structure, its own syntax, its own grammar. Um, there are real rules. So when you like, you can't like we drop is a lot in AAVE, but you can't just drop it twice. Like there are certain places it has to be or it shouldn't be. So I, re <laughs> I have a great story for this one. So I was in ninth grade and I was in uh, geometry. And, and my teacher, some girl, a girl in my class said, oh, was talking, was talking about the teacher to another student. So she was like, oh man, she a nut. And my teacher said, I heard what you said. And the, and the girl said, okay, so what did I, what did I say? And she was like, you said she a nut. And we were like, yes, but no. <laughs> okay. The words are right, but the inflection is off. So like I, I made a I made a TikTok about this about like the reason that it doesn't work is because it's it, on your tongue it may be flavorless where you have to have so much flavor when you when you engage in that in these words right like you have to be able to um, understand understand the grammar and I think the the beaut one of the and I could talk about AAVE for an entire episode one of the things that's very very beautiful about AAVE is that we we know it. And there, there's regional, right? It changes by region of where you live in the country. But also we did it without having to write it down. Like that is such a, a fantastic, and a lot of it comes through our music because most of African history is told through a drum beat and music. But, and I could, I could go off, I could, like I have a love letter to AAVE, but you don't have to do it like, Listen, I, I remember talking to one of my friends at work and um, maybe her sister, maybe she's listening. And she was like, hey, she said something, something girlfriend. And I said, did you did you just roll your neck and say girlfriend because I'm black? And she was like, and she looked at me and was like, no, like it was a question. And I was <laughs> <She> like, <did. laughs> and I was like, OK, you don't you don't need to you don't need to do that. <laughs> like that's, she was like she was like girlfriend. And I was like, not sure what just happened there but please don't and I, I still I love her to this day but um I, I think it's something that happens and I will say I have done it I I have not necessarily um AAVE but like I was talking to a person who was from a different country and I started to slowly draw in this accent and I was like e but I noticed it like two sentences in and I was like what do I do now like how do I stop it it's called mirroring yeah no that's and I yeah. I, I stopped doing my my husband was yeah. like what what was that accent I was like I don't I don't know I won't do it again so I had to like casually drop it the next time I met that person like I was just losing it I was like hello so and like <laughs> <laughs> like I couldn't like I couldn't just go in and I was like hello Guffna how are you today and then I had to like fake it and get out of it chip pip pip cheerio like, let it go like yeah like i had to let it go halfway through because i was like what did i do so if you notice yourself doing it just draw back and be like yo what up b son work food and then just like slowly back out you can stop you can stop you have the power to yeah so here's another question for you like along the same lines okay so general general message to white folks do not try to speak in aav or anything similar um two questions okay first of all uh people don't use the term ebonics anymore right that's no. considered no because it you use aav instead right I, we because it, ebonics ebonics points to the fact that it is broken english 
right? Because we have this notion of what is proper English and what is broken English. And Ebonics points to the fact that this is broken English and it's actually not broken. It has a full set of rules, grammar, phonics, all of that. AAVE is a dialect of language. So I always tell people I am monolingual, one language is how you sound fancy, and bi-dialectical. I have two different. Oh, hey. Yeah, that's that's great. um, And probably, I mean, I could speak Pig Latin or no. It's a real thing, but I will say, I would say, um, yeah, it is a full language. We don't use Ebonics because it's not broken and there's no such thing as proper English because American English is not proper. What do y'all mean? Uh, So you, uh, I have a question for you. Do, when you speak to me, are you actively or uh, not actively subconsciously code switching in order to be friends with white folks? Like, is that something that you think about or is that even an issue for you or? Uh, uh, So let me first define code switching. Code switching, and, and, and you can probably find this in your life. So I'll think about code switching as how you talk to your friends versus how you talk to your grandmother. And if they have a difference, that's essentially, that is a, like a low level of code switching. Often people of color or black people have to code switch to, uh, and especially if you work like a corporate environment, there's like what they call corporate speak. You have to be able to walk the walk, talk the talk, and talking the talk part is the code switching. So I'm going to change how I talk, um, the way I talk, the words I say to be able to fit in. Um, I, I will say, and if you, if you listen to this, please listen to this for more than one episode, you'll hear me say, so I have a story because I have a story for each of these things. Um, I don't find myself code switching when I'm talking to you. There are probably words that I don't say because, or phrases that I may not use as much of because you may not understand them, but that's not, I don't code switch because I don't think it's necessary. And if I'm going to be friends with you, I want to as we've been talking about, bring my full self to this friendship. Yeah. Um, I will say, so I, in, in, a, in a story way, so um, me and my husband were looking for apartments when we were moving um, and I was, and I had to call some places to set up some um, showings and list, of listings or whatever. And I was talking to this one woman, I, I'm, I'm, I'll go call her Diana. I think her name was actually Diane. And she was a property manager of like four properties. And, and I was talking to her and I got off the phone and my husband was like, and my husband's a white man and he's like why why'd you sound like that on the phone i said oh that's my phone voice that's and he was like what what Can what the hell is that? that i was like hi hi Di- oh my god diane so <laughs> thank you so much that's so and he was like why i said because here's the thing black people have learned that to be able to engage and get what you need from someone, you have to speak, mirror them and speak them. He was like, why were you talking? I was talking to this lady about how she had a baby or she had a son and then her next baby passed away and then she got pregnant again. So she had a rainbow baby. And I was like, oh my God, that's so interesting. And when we met her, because she was going to meet me and and know one, my name is Tyshell when it's not necessarily a name that is considered a white name, right? Like it's not a, a, as people say, a normal name. They'll be like, oh my God, your name is so beautiful. It's so different. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, so she was going to see that and know that I wasn't black. I mean, know that I was, I was black immediately or non-white anyway. And then I was going to need for her to show me. And because of the history and legacy of redlining, which we'll have to talk about in a a different episode, I knew that I was going to have to engage with her and for her to be like, oh my God, Tyshell's so bubbly. She's so friendly. So I was speaking in a way that would neutralize 
any the um the the stereotype of the aggressive black woman i didn't want to come across as aggressive i wanted to come across as friendly and and there's actually a movie um with uh god what is her name she's a comedian um i cannot remember her name um I'll, I'll I'll think about it in a second. Uh, the the comedian who the the Asian comedian who was pregnant when she does her comedy I cannot remember. Oh, her name. I'll look it up. Uh, Baby Cobra, what's her name? Yes, <laughs> yes, she's so she's so funny. And because I, I want to call I wanted to call her Ali something Wong. else. And, yes, Ali Wong yeah. does a movie, um, and she, and her best friend is a black woman, and she's like, oh, she's like, don't use your phone voice with me, and she's like, you know, using this um, particular voice and. So I knew I had to have that conversation, but if I can't, I'm doing that because I don't, I'm not, I'm never going to, I'm not going to engage with this woman in a long way and in longevity. I'm going to talk to her. I'm going to have a conversation with her and then I might not see her again, but I may be able to rent an apartment in a, uh, in an apartment building that is, um, that she's a property manager of. So I'm gonna have that conversation with her. But if I have to do that with you, then, then we are, if I'm doing that with you, then we are not real friends. Okay, that's a really good thing to remember. Like, yeah, that if I'm not creating enough sa safety and being a trustworthy ally in order for you to be able to be yourself, maybe you won't tell me everything, everything that you're going through because I might not understand some of it, but right, as far, like we've, we, and what I say that meaning like, we have conversations about like what black folks talk about behind closed doors, like mm -hmm. versus in mixed company. So, right. um, but, but that's part of my job as a friend, right. To allow you to be your authentic self, but that's any friendship. Again, these are like standard <laughs> rules that apply to all friendships. It's not really anything special, right. uh, creating trust and making sure that someone can, can be themselves around you. Right. And be them. So like people say the golden rule is treat others the way you would want to be true treated. So then they create it. The platinum rule is treat others the way they want to be treated. Like I don't need mm. to treat you as I don't need for you to be like me for us to be friends. And I, you shouldn't need for me to be like you for us to be friends. Like we should be able to be ourselves and be friends if that's what we're going to do. And maybe there are times where a white person grows up in a, in a predominantly black neighborhood and, and has a natural inclination to talk a certain way, right? But they have to be able to understand that that's not them and that's not who, that's not their language. So they have to be able to understand, like I can be a part of this culture and engage with it, but I don't, I'm, it's not mine, right? And I can grow up and, and know, because like we have to get out of the thought process. And I, I tell people this all the time in that there is proper English. So like pe people be like, why are you mad at me? Because like a black person to me, like why would you be mad at me? Because I speak proper English. It's like, but let's get out of that thought process about what is proper and what's not proper. Because um, like as Melody said, I use the term $5 words. If there's a simpler way to say it, why do I need to use every SAT word I've ever learned to be able to have this conversation? So yeah. I don't know. Uh, like, but, but, but I think what we're getting at really is that it, there's not a difference in how to be friends. It's just letting that person be themselves and be friends with them authentically. Like if you want to be my friend because you want a cool black friend, like you'll, that's not going it's not going to work for too long it feels like a job it's very objectifying right yeah. like i oh need a God. sassy black friend find sassy black friend make them be my friend and have this little like trophy friend that i like have like that i get to tell other white people like i have a sassy black friend and and like for for me myself like someone who identifies as bisexual right so I, i'm a member of the lgbtq community and I, I heard someone recently saying, oh, we should get a, we should get a gay friend, like a gay friend who can help us shop. And I'm like, 
they're not like gay people are not your props like you don't right. get to just like right. brag right. about having a gay friend like are you actually friends with that person you see them as a full complex human being who's allowed to have a wide range of interests it doesn't just exist for your pleasure or purposes yeah so, you're the exoticism of something and i think yeah. you can have a white friend a black friend an asian friend a gay friend and you can engage with them for the way they engage with the community right like you can be like oh yeah my friend so and so he's gay right but i don't have to like this is my friend so and so they are gay and they are my gay friend like yeah. but i don't need you to be i don't need you to act a certain way I don't need you to act like I, I'm married. I don't need you to be like, actually my partner and my, like, I don't need you to upplay all of those things. You can just be who you are and that be okay. And that's a part of the work that I would need to do, right? To not see something as very, very different or, or, or like one of the things I, I really dislike is when people say these things are new. I'm like, they're not, they're not new. Like what we, things? So, so when people will say like, um, just more recently, um, like pronouns, like you can see in, in this banner, we have, uh, Mel and I have our pronouns and people are like, well, people have to get used to it. It's new. And I'm like, no, because a, a, we've always used pronouns. We just assume these two were the only two. And then we start to talk about like trans identity and trans folks, but, but there've always been intersex people. So not everybody has always identified or like, that's not a new yeah. thing. It's not new. Right? <laughs> like, so yeah. when people say it's new, it infuriates me and in fury yeah. i'm like no it's not new so like let's just let people be the breath of themselves and yeah. fully and then let's be friends with them for who they are i'm so past acceptance i'm like past like i'm like radical inclusion and empathy like that that's where i'm yes. living at that's where i'm living at and empathy like again like yes and i'm i'm trying to call this in without centering whiteness too much in this conversation but but whiteness is principally a failure in empathy it, it leads to a failure and utter failure of empathy for centuries and centuries and centuries. And but I'll tell you why that is, Mel, because to be, and when we talk about white, we're not talking about individual people. We're right. talking about a system or a group. It is because, and we'll probably have to do an entire episode on this, is because yeah. to be white, you had to give up your individuality to, uh, to subscribe to that, right? So when people talk about whiteness, they're not talking about um, Irishness or Italianness or Scottishness, they're talking about whiteness, right? And that's not the same thing. So people say, well, what about blackness? That's the same thing. It's like, no, we only are black because we don't know, right? Like we don't, we don't, we don't know, right? So that is how we created this culture, but you had to give something up. Something was taken from me, which is why I'm black. And I would, um, uh, identify as black, but something you had to give something up to be and join into whiteness, which is the a little bit of the difference, and we can flush that out at a different time. So there's this, yeah. So there's this egocentrism that can that really takes hold, or from from birth, from the way they're, we're socialized from birth, to see white people as fully human, to see BIPOC folks as not fully human, and that really plays out, in my opinion, and what I've seen in the relationships between black people and white people in particular, is that. If a, a white Karen is walking into a friendship, she's already assuming that she has more power or ought to have more power than a black woman, a black woman she's trying to be friend, right? And unless that white woman is actively seeking ways to do this, 
you know, actively seeking ways to equalize that power and to make sure there's a level playing field by by deep listening, by empathy, by refusing to pity, by by making sure she's not using microaggressions, by making sure that that black friend can feel safe around her and that she's does not that that black friend doesn't have to be on guard at any moment that that person's going to be racist. Like unless that white person is doing all of that work, that friendship's probably never going to happen because mm-hmm. we are so primed to not be able to relate to each other because of this history. Yeah. We're going to be talking about this. We have so much more to talk about oh, because wow. this will, we, we, you just said Karen and we really have to talk about what a Karen is and the history of a Karen. And we wouldn't do, I want to do a full episode on that yeah. and what that looked like, what that looks like. Um, because there's so much there. So we have so many things to talk about. I just wanted to call it out because I was like, oh, we, we're, we're getting close on time, but there's so we many are. conversations we can really yeah. be having about all of these things. Yeah. So be empathetic, be a human being. Don't be weird. Calm down. (laughs) Don't be a lurker. Like, don't Don't lurk for friends. Yeah. Do your homework. (laughs) Do the work. Be an be an ally. Right. It's it shouldn't be as hard as it is, but it is hard. It's hard for all of us. Um, But you you like Taishel said, put in the work. Right. You cannot just like have coffee with someone and just forge an instant trust friendship and have it have this like soul friendship forever like it takes work over a long period of time it takes multiple interactions and it's that's literally what friendship really is that's what it is because and if you feel like you can't be authentic with people that's a that's some deep dives you need to do within yourself and why you feel like you can't open use a therapist therapies are therapists are great i mean coming coming from a person who is a trained therapist you know seek one right figure out your own stuff your own mess before you project that onto anybody in any relationship whether it be romantic or friend cross-racial cross-gender cross-ethnic whatever uh do your do your work do your work for yourself absolutely oh man we got so let's start to wrap do you do you have any more questions anything else would you say let's yeah we let's start Um, to wrap up if there's you know we can i want to ask you what's 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 the last thing you want to say like what what's the most helpful thing to you as a black woman like if you're interacting with white women what is the most helpful thing for you be off be authentic um i think um as you were talking about what whiteness makes we make us makes us lack in authenticity right like i uh, be authentic and be um the two things that i pride myself on is authenticity and integrity and if you have those two things and I don't have them for me, don't have them for, have them for yourself, right? Because if you don't have integrity, what do you have? Your own integrity, right? Um, and your own authenticity, have have all of those things. And that may make you, help you be a better person overall. But like, if you want to and get, like, if you want to be my friend, like, don't, like, if that's going to be a weird thing, be, if you want to be my friend, you need to, no, but really be authentic and be integral for yourself. That's awesome advice, yeah. Advice we can all learn from. It's it's a gross, it's yeah. a gross curve. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So uh, as we wrap up here, we want to let you know we will be back for another um, session, a session, another converse. I said session, like <laughs> it, see, that's a therapist talk. <laughs> Shoot, um, we'll be back. I'll be we'll be back for another conversation uh, next week, and you can follow us on facebook on twitter on instagram um you will be able to to see this uh podcast 
uh, this broadcast um, on, on those platforms on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But I'm just thinking, um, like, you can follow us and engage with us, like, when we're not having just this conversation. We, you'll see us on TikTok. Mel has way more followers than I have. But we're like, gonna, we're it, gonna change that. <laughs> Listen, I'm not. I, I don't do uh, the, the. I don't set up to do ten. Like a like a. It's set up for an hour to do a video. If I'm thinking it takes of it, a I'm very like, long time. <laughs> So we'll be talking about that, but we really want you all to engage with us. So if you have questions, we want to be able to answer them on the air. If you have things you want us to talk about, because we have some topics for you all and more to create, but we want to know what you all want to hear because we just want to talk about it. We are here to talk. We're here to be brave and we're here to hang out with y'all in our sweats and, uh, and I'm drinking my water out of my, um, I don't know what bottle this is, but it's, it's a lot of water. So that's good. Stay hydrated. Very important. I've got my water here too. (laughs) All right. We'll catch you all next time. See ya. See ya.